I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grand House Podcast with Dave and Matt. And that is true. It is, in fact, Dave and Matt. The Brothers Grimm are back this week. How are you, Matt? I'm doing good. It was a fun being away i had a week off and uh that was pretty cool got to see some friends and uh had a little party i enjoyed that you did have a party you had a bachelor party yeah a stag party that's right yeah it was we really let loose man it was crazy stuff what kind of debauchery did you does one get into when they have a stag party in the music city of austin texas um well we didn't play uh, Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons and liar. Isn't that what you were saying? I was still like last week. He's probably. Like I was just. I, I was. If I were to had made a bet, I would have assumed you either had some sort of sweet land party or like tabletop party. That's oh what yeah, my that's guess right. Was. It was a land party or table. No, we didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. We didn't play uh, computer games on the land. Uh, we played Street Fighter Five. Okay. Yeah. So, right. so it was like a it was like a, a Sega Genesis party. There, no, there was no Sega. Was there any Sega Genesis? I can't remember. Um, Super I can't Nintendo. Remember a lot. It was. It was. Uh, uh, basically, we just like uh, we took the half of this, the whole half side of this bar, and um, mm-hmm. they had these big projector projector screens. So we had right. um, uh, like an arcade arcade joysticks set up with like Street Fighter and Tekken and all these you know arcade games, and then. Uh, on on the other screen, there was re- like a projector screen on every wall. So on the other walls, it was uh, '80s wrestling clips, nice. and um, our favorite uh, <clears throat> Christian kids show, Bible Man. And if you've never seen Bible Man, it's like a he's a, a superhero that uses uh, the Bible to summon superpowers, and he fights robots and stuff. So it was just now, like. Now- um, yeah, we, we did you pick that? did you pick these clips and these videos or is this like this particular bar in Austin, Texas just happens to show Bible Man and no, 80s wrestling clips and has cool video games projected everywhere. No, we we just kind of told them like, "Hey, we're going to run out the back of your bar for a bachelor party." And um we just made all that happen. Um, okay, I see, I see. Yeah, it was uh and it wasn't like a definite like it wasn't like scheduled. It was like we had there was like a an um an iPad and we people could just randomly throw stuff up on the wall and that was gotcha. just the kind of stuff that we are into I guess <laughs> so we well uh, it sounds pretty cool have you um did you ever play the game Yakuza Yakuza is um like kind of a beat 'em up uh, action game kind of a comedy yeah as well. uh, uh, I wouldn't say comedy it's a little bit more of a romance okay I'm currently playing that now oh okay slowly. oh that's right yeah and okay. clumsily. Yeah, because you're you're into video games now. You have a PlayStation and stuff. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm reverting. The closer I get to forty, the closer I get to fourteen. What? I bought a PlayStation Four and several games. I'm currently play, playing Yakuza, and I bought a skateboard, which comes tomorrow or Monday. Comes Monday when this show airs. I'll have my skateboard. Yeah, so it sounds like you're kind of saying that stuff's for kids, but. Uh, video games are like a, a growing market for adults, and skateboards, I believe, is um, forty plus uh, these days. It's uh, it's not so much that I think that inherently they are for kids. It's just that the last time I indulged in either of these activities, I was a kid, and so uh, you know, for some people, when they start to hit middle age, they buy uh, you know sports cars, or convertibles, maybe. Maybe they get an earring or like a young girlfriend. Sure. I am just uh, trying to reclaim my youth and deny the fact that my body is getting older and creakier on every day. So going to push myself while I still got time. I want to skateboard. I still can skateboard. But, uh, you know, the whole thing of uh, making a living with your hands, being an artist, um, that puts them at great risk, you know. So What if you got one of those cool wrist guards, you know? <laughs> there are those wrist guards. It's true. And, and I was always pretty good about falling and getting my hands out of the way kind of rolling into it you know i was always pretty good at that but uh yeah i don't know matt, i don't know i've got matt, one 2020 hmm? 2020 we get back to skateboarding get get back into skateboarding i've still got yeah, mine let's do I it. mean, it's it's an antique now but it still works i i wasn't even that good at skateboarding when i did skateboard so this is gonna be this is gonna be very excellent so if you see me next week with a wrist cast you know exactly what happened to me yeah okay yeah uh yeah, so skateboarding is not for kids. You know, I was kind of surprised uh, yesterday. I was at a friend's house, 
and uh, his wife was all into Legos now. She and they're like in their forties. Okay. And uh, yeah. she's got this uh, Harry Potter Lego castle thing. Have you have you seen this thing? No, but you know, it's the whole when I was gr- school, man. But they, that you can assemble via Legos. Yeah, but here's the thing: on the box, it's like you know how they always say like the age group, like eight and up. Yeah, right. Sixteen and up. Oh, yeah. It's like this is this Legos not for kids. <laughs> Right. This is this is a, a, a Legos after dark. Yeah, you need a license to do these Legos. <laughs> well, listen. When when I was growing up, my mom was really into like puzzles. Yeah. You know, like she, that was like her thing, and I and so it makes perfect sense that like, you know, when you think of a puzzle, that is sort of an activity that that was at least initially marketed towards kids and yeah i think you carry some of those things on when you become an adult and you have some disposable income and there's really no one to tell you to go like do chores or get a job or whatever like you know you're you're the master of your own time and so why not indulge in a little pleasure from a time long forgotten yeah you're right like puzzles were like a toy and now you go to like retirement homes and like all their it's like card tables full of puzzles and so i guess 30 years from now it's going to be Legos, Legos, uh, yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, maybe PlayStation Four and skate, maybe skate, skateboarding. Uh, skateboarding a little trickier with the old folks, but maybe they could figure yeah, something right. out though. We'll figure it. Maybe uh, um, uh, the 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 walkers will be a little bit more like extreme. You know, they'll they'll come up with like an extreme rocker, but it will the the E won't be included in the extreme part. It'll just be like X dash Treme walker. <laughs> yeah, there'll <laughs> be like a half pipe in the back, but it's only like two two and a half feet tall something like that yeah yeah extreme walker from Airwalker. <laughs> this is good stuff yeah i would Hell yeah. i'm looking forward to getting old now man that sounds great yeah well listen while you were uh, enjoying your stag party uh, jude and i were driving clear across country you did some stops seeing the tim burton exhibit in las vegas we stopped by the munster mansion in waxahachie which is not that far from you so if you get an opportunity dude you should totally go up and look at yeah, it. it sounds cool it's it's super cool um, and then we went to the movies uh, a couple of days ago. I, I don't know if you've seen um, the uh, a, not A twenty four Orion actually. Orion did their sort of A twenty four SpectreVision esque movie with uh, Gretel and Hansel. Gretel, like it's Hansel and Gretel, but now it's Gretel and Hansel. Gretel, I'm guessing, is like the main character or something. Is that what's going on? Yeah. So the so the general setup of the film is. Um, have you you've seen The Witch, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, English film where it's like set in old colony, colonial America, and yeah, uh, ye old times. Yeah, and, and there's like an evil goat or something. It's, it's been awesome it's been a goat. while. It's been a while, but I loved it. It was really good, really dark. Okay, so it's it's like if someone took like someone watched some executive or director or writer or producer watched that film and said, I, "We can do a version of Hanzo and Gretel in the same spirit as that, where it's super." Um, beautiful landscape and and very you know every frame of photo you know the the wardrobe specific to the time just aesthetically brilliantly amazing and center and wrap all that around the old Grimm's fairy tale of Hansel and Gretel um, but from the perspective more of the perspective of Gretel and that is this movie except and and I don't want to dog this film too badly but it's very clear that they put a premium on aesthetic over story because the story is about as thin as the old fairy tale. Like uh, there would be very little that you don't already know about it if you just know the fairy tale growing up. Well, did, so did it really have the tone of the witch? Yeah, it's really cool. So the, the uh, spoilers, but the, the general setup is like, Gretel and Hansel are these young kids and Gretel's on the so the verge of womanhood and their mom is kind of crazy after the, her their father has died so she casts them out to like fend for themselves and along the way they meet a huntsman and some kind of like I don't know what he, I don't know what it's supposed to be I guess he's supposed to be a physically disabled person and then they he sends them on a path to sort of earn their keep at some place down the road and they get sidetracked and they end up at this old witch's house, which um, Gretel grew up with the story of the, the girl with the pink hat. She was a, a, a young girl who was the most beautiful in town, a child, but she had, uh, she had visions and she had sort of telekinesis and she was able to like force people to do things. And so they cast her out. Right. 
So that fairy tale looms over the top of this fairy tale. Interesting. And they come across the witch and it's a little bit more of a, a rooted, you know, like in the old fairy tales that her house is made of candies and yeah. delicacies. Right. And this one, she just has these massive feasts that she feeds them, you know. But it turns out the witch is into witchcraft and she sees that Gretel has like that uh, inert witchcraft capability within her. So she's trying to pull it out. So it's very much framed as a coming of age story but wrapped in this veneer of this old grim sort of aesthetic it's it's very cool it's very cool and i don't want to say that i didn't like it but it is short on story or very light on story i guess is a better way of putting it so if you're there for the visuals awesome if you want to care about the characters or character development or plot that it's not really for you so it's, it's a divisive in that manner and it's um it's very uh, so. It sounds like it's it's very artistic, very like there's a there's a heavy tone and style to it. Um, to to try to take something, <clears throat> I guess it's it's a it's an interesting idea to try to take something and like to see that movie The Witch. You think they really were inspired by that movie The Witch? Uh, like it felt like it that. feels yeah, like it. see something like that and say like, let's take this tone and let's apply it to like a old folk tale because there's there's been a lot of uh, things. In recent years, uh, trying to update folk tales to the modern age and stuff. All right. Um, the Witcher is supposed to be that uh, that the Witcher show, uh, but they kind of left that element out. But if you read the books, it's all it's all stu- stories you've basically heard before. Uh, but yeah, right, I like right. the idea of that, and I do like films. Uh, I like that a lot of horror films are getting set in a uh, older times. I think that is, uh, I mean, not going back to like the eighties, you know. Uh, I mean, go yeah, go way back, go hundreds of years back in the past, and make a horror story there. You know, that sounds pretty fun to me. Yeah, it does seem like there's been a movement for horror films led by A twenty four for sure, um, Spectre Vision as well, uh, and to some degree Blumhouse also, where horror films are being treated with uh, what used to be called uh, pres- the, the prestige treatment, right? Where you know this is the old Miramax model, where and they did you know the the pianist and they did the red violin and um, it's also a great movie, and um, you know these sort of art house films yeah. that were made for very modest budgets, you know, but were heavily stylized, heavily gorgeous, amazing these landscaping soundtracks, and it feels like that method, that sort of Miramax method of the '90s, is being applied to more and more horror films now. Huh. You have the aforementioned The Witch, and you have um, Gretel and Hansel. And in from a, a really a, a very different perspective, you have um, you know uh, the Rob, uh, Lords of Salem in some ways is very much sort of an art house horror. Oh yeah. Um, you Mandy in, in, a, in a from a different perspective is kind of art house horror. Uh, you know, of course, we would be remiss if we did not mention Tusk in this conversation <laughs> of art house I horror. Guess. You know the. More and more, you start seeing these films that are breaking away from that '80s slasher, or even even the '90s meta slasher. Right? We're getting into some really beautiful films, artistic films, um, and I find it really really cool. Um, I just it's it's curious as to their what their success rate ultimately will be because Gretel and Hansel apparently is not doing very well, and it's fairly divisive in terms of the reviews. Really, what are the reviews saying? Basically, what I said, it's very pretty to look at, but there's not much substance. Okay. And it's a slow burn. And I mean, listen, I know people who don't like The Witch. Yeah. Who who I've I've seen people say it's one of the most boring films that they have ever seen. And even more shocking than that, there are people who don't like Tusk. That's not so shocking to me. It is, well, I, I know you have a very negative view on, <laughs> on humanity in the future. We've, we've covered that in other I mean, film, in other look, podcasts. It's growing on me, okay? I mean, your your constant campaign to convince me that Tusk is a good movie is, it's not, you know, it's not bearing a lot of fruit, but like, uh, you know, it's had some effect for sure. It's growing in there. Yeah, it's growing. Yeah. In there. There's, there's the kernel of doubt is growing within you. Yeah. So, so what is it? Um, like, what is your take on it? What do you think has given? You know, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum that, that horror, the horror movies really represent sort of the anxieties of the time. What is it about right now that seems to be giving rise to this, these art house horror films? That I, I don't know. Uh, like, I, I think um, that just when a genre has been around long enough, you know, people start to take it in different directions. And I think that might be what's going on there. 
Um, I have a what, – what do you think about the idea that in our lives – uh, you know, when we did when we did uh, the the episode about sort of cyberpunk and what have you, and we talked about the idea in the '80s of what commercialism would be like in our lives, and how, in the reality of it is, is commercialism is very much a part of our life, but it's far more subtle and sort of integrated in in more, um, uh, un, you know, in in more subtle ways. Do you feel like part of what has given rise to the art house film genre is a reaction to these? super glossy super slick superhero films that are like 90 percent cgi and super slick phones and super slick social media and everything is photoshopped and cleaned up and perfected and if you look at sort of what is mainstream it's all very clean and from that we're getting these grittier darker more artistic more um stylized horror films that are in very much juxtaposition to what is sort of in the mainstream. Yeah, it could be that. It could be a a bit of a reaction against that. Uh, Maybe. I mean, but it's always been there. There's always been like, you know, weird artsy horror films and strange stuff out there. But uh, I think it's just that they're they're getting in theaters uh, lately. And that's is that what it is? Right. I, I feel like, yeah, like to me, this is almost like. Like uh, when punk rose up, you know, and and punk was underground, of course, but it was a reaction to sort of 70s arena rock. And then before you knew it, you started to see punk sort of get a little bit more mainstream. You know, know, even bands like the Ramones and even the Sex Pistols were being invited onto these talk shows. And you started to see them crack through the shell that is the mainstream. I feel like in horror, you're getting a little bit of that as well, except, you know, it's raw, but in a different way than punk was raw to music. This is more like... um, I guess maybe this is more like goth, you know, or post-punk. Okay, yeah. It's more like the ba- Bauhaus is what Bauhaus was to punk into mainstream music. You know, movies like Gretel and Hansel and and The Witch are to mainstream cinema. So you've been watching art house horror films and, uh, since the last yeah. I saw you. And it sounds pretty exciting. It sounds like you're pretty excited about that. Are there any other ones we should look out for that are coming that are kind of in the style that you're talking about? Um, let me try to think about that. I haven't seen the lighthouse yet, and I don't know if that would be classified as horror. Right. But um, that one's getting a lot of press. I know there's a uh, antebellum that is coming up really soon. I think that one looks sort of dark and sinister in this sort of same sort of vein. Um, what about you? What have you been watching lately that sort of caught your eye? That's a little bit outside of the norm of, of traditional mainstream cinema? Uh, I, saw, I saw a few things uh, since our last uh, visit. I, I watched a... Um, I finally caught this film. There was a film that came out in 2016 that I was always interested in. I just kind of keep putting it off and forgetting about it. I think the main reason, and I hate to admit it, is because the film never came to any of the uh, streaming services that I subscribe to. So I, I still had to pay like eight bucks to uh, uh, rent it. And I think that might be the main reason why I've been putting it off. It's just because it's like, you know, it's going to come to Netflix eventually. It's going to be on something. And it's sure. just like it never happened. <laughs> and so finally I just, I was like, okay, it's Friday night. I kind of want to watch a movie. Uh, and uh, and then I remembered uh, the, the Greasy Strangler. I never watched the Greasy Strangler. So I, I bit the bullet. And now that's a, sp- it was a- yeah, that's a spinoff of, uh, of Home Alone, right? It was the, uh, the Wet Bandits. And then it was the Sticky Bandits. And then eventually, uh, Harry and Marv graduated to be in the Greasy Stranglers, right? That's what I this is. I think you could safely watch the Greasy Strangler and assume that Jim Hosking, the director and writer, never saw Home Alone. I mean, this is like way <laughs> d- different worlds, man. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah, it was uh, $8 to rent it for some reason. I, th- I swear I only pay 6 bucks for like mainstream films on google but any anyway that's but was it worth I don't it know. <laughs> yeah i don't know why i'm being all curmudgeon about the rental fee i had to rent a movie <laughs> in 2020 i can't believe it yes it was worth it i had a blast it was hilarious it's it's a it's a horror film by jim hosking um do you know the names you watch uh uh let's see uh, the only other thing i get you might know him from is if you watch a lot of adult swim there's been he's done stuff for them uh, there's been a, a, a new no. show called tropical cop tales. That's, uh, that he's totally just him. Um, and it, gotcha. okay. But he's a, he's a British director and he's just, he's got a real strange vision, man. It's like these films he makes. It's like, there's practically like 
no like what you would think of with like traditional Hollywood attractive people. Like there's none of those people in these films. They're 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 it's just a you know the settings like this. Uh, it's like this really you know just unremarkable town, and uh, it's about this guy, uh, Big Ronnie. And uh, Big Ronnie and his son, they do uh, disco walking tours where um, you you know you know what a walking tour is. It's where you like, yeah, you, yeah, we've done several. Yeah, of them. some some guy guides you along some area of town and tells you about the history of it. So he tells, I can't remember what the town they live in is, but he he, it's like um, that he walks around the town with people like giving them the disco history of this town, uh, how the Bee Gees wrote okay. like the Bee Gees wrote "Staying Alive" at this gas station. You know, it's that sort of thing. Uh, it's ridiculous, but at night. He goes out completely nude, except for a, a coating of grease all over his whole body, and he strangles the people who have wronged him during the daytime. And now, why does he choose to do this nude? Because I feel like even with the layer of grease, this would be difficult to do during the winter months. No, not, not for Big Ronnie. He's a he's a hardy man. You, you got to watch it to understand. But uh, it's almost like the grease gives him uh, powers. <laughs> Because he's not, he's like a, he's stronger than the average, like sixty-eight year old. I believe he looks, he looks about seventy. <laughs> he's funny. All right. And, uh, so it's funny that you mentioned that because there is in in Gretel and Hanzo, part of the uh, the witch and Gretel's power to move things with their mind is um, emboldened by them dipping their hands in some sort of fatty grease. Oh, man. So maybe there's a maybe there's a connection. Maybe they're in a shared maybe. universe that that like the the greasy strangler is a long lost descendant of the witch from Gretel and Hansel. That would that would explain a lot honestly because uh, uh, especially like I I if I were to find out this guy's family history and that like somewhere down the line, he did have a grandma that had a candy house or something. I would believe it because like it's, it's the kind of world that the Jim Hosking makes in this film, man. It's, it's, it's a man. It's weird. It's hard to explain. It's like, um, it kept reminding me of the band Devo. Uh, yeah. Okay. We talked about, did we yeah. talk about that on the air or was that off? No, air? no. I was telling you about that. Uh, last time I was uh, chatting with you, uh, off the show, I believe. Um, Gotcha, but, but but explain it for everyone who doesn't know because you know, I, obviously we all everyone knows of Devo, but maybe don't really know that that there's a far more interesting and artistic idea behind the band oh, yeah. that is D- Devo. Devo has a lore, man. There's like a whole Devo world when you listen to their music. It's uh, it's the, the idea behind Devo is that the name being short for de-evolution. It's like. Uh, they're supposed to be a group of scientists that find out that the world has been de-evolving. Like our evolutionary process has been going in reverse for quite some time. So they put together a rock band to get the message out. And that's why like Devo's music sounds so different from other pop music at the time. It's supposed to be from an alternate universe of de-evolved humans, or maybe it's not, maybe it's actually them commenting on what they see in our own, in our world, just in their own way. But, uh, Right, I felt okay. like Greasy Strangler would be like if if the Devo world, you know, had horror movies, this is what they would look like. Just right. bizarre. Okay. It was a uh, man. It's hard. It's hard to explain. But it's like if you ever want to see, you know, a, a nude 70 year old man strangle someone until his eyes pop out uh, and then go through a car wash to clean off after he's done. And those car wash scenes are fantastic. Um, Matt, it's almost as though you have against my consent, peered into my sleepy dreams every night and pulled a deep, dark fantasy of mine and made that fantasy Yeah, I thought film. you'd like this one. Yeah, you got to see it, man. It's uh, Trust me, it's... This is right up there with... Uh, this is right up there with Grandma's Looking at Porn. With Grandma's Looking at Porn? Yeah, remember that story you told me a couple episodes ago where there was, like, the email that the, the old granny got about, like... I caught you looking oh. at porn and she brought you the computer. <laughs> oh no, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't one of my grandmas. That was a, an elderly woman that I work Not with. Your yeah, grandma, yeah, a yeah, grandma. She got that email. She wasn't looking at porn. She just, got a warning scam email. Well, listen, she may or may not have been, but if you were, if I was trying to throw someone off my tracks, I might make it seem like it was really some 
some spam email that was coming my way. That way people didn't suspect that I was actually a 70-year-old grandma looking well, at porn. Well, Big Ronnie doesn't need to look at porn in The Greasy Strangler because he's actually quite the ladies' man. And that becomes the point of contention for the for the film's plot. See, uh, on, on their disco walking tours, his son meets a woman and falls in love with her. And then um, throughout the movie, uh, Big Ronnie, the Greasy Strangler, begins to steal her away with his charm and his disco knowledge. And uh, it's uh, God damn. trying to review this film or whatever this is, is is difficult. But trust me, man, you got to see it. There's nothing like it. Uh, I had seen Tropical Cocktails before. I was a big fan of that show. Uh, that's an amazing show. I mean, it's like it's a super weird cartoony violence kind of um, detective story, I guess. But uh, it's one of my favorite shows on Adult Swim right now. I hope they do an- another season. And so I was really excited when I, I didn't even know going into this film that it was the same guy. I got kind of like um, freaked out there for a second because he looked so, so, so similar and uh, real excited as the movie progressed because that was it's 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 a, a very strange and unique style. But you got to see it. I mean, even down to the soundtrack, which sounds like it was recorded by uh, some kind of alien band or something. There's no actual lyrics. It's just weird grunting noises over synthesizer. It's like. I don't know, man, but it works. So, so it's funny that in the last week, both you and I, without actually talking about it, both watched what probably most people would consider to be fairly art house films. Yeah, as my, though mine, I feel went in a totally opposite art direction, uh, where yours was, was capturing on beauty and sure. a certain tone. Mine was just like, I I don't know how to how to describe it. Like, t- it's turning turning it down quite a bit. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was on, uh, against my better judgment, I was on Twitter and a discussion broke out about um, horror movies and um, in particular people bemoaning reboots. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a new remake slash reboot, I don't know what you want to call it, of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Really? Again? Yeah. Wow. They just can't give that one up. Okay. No. And... um, when I was watching the Blade Disgusting page on Twitter and they were sort of saying there's some news coming down that is sure to be divisive, sure enough, and they announced it, you know, people, including myself, were like, God, the beating the damn dead horse, yeah. right? So from that discussion was people complain, and, and I think in many instances justifiably so, about these constant reboots and remakes. They're also remaking or maybe sequeling, I'm not sure, the Candyman. Oh, I'd Remember heard about that. Old that old 90s yeah. film? I had heard about that. Which was a sort of a ripoff of Bloody Mary. The old lore of Bloody Mary. Do you know the lore of yeah, Bloody Mary? Or is that a Mexican thing? And you say yeah. her name. Yeah, exactly. Well, Candyman was essentially that, but like a dude with bees that's into candy. Yeah. No, those, so, were, those were great movies. Uh, I, I mean, those were. No, when I was a kid. That was awesome. some stuff. Yeah. But, you know, uh, as, is, as, as Hollywood is apt to do. They're mining old properties and trying to revive them. And, and it seems like with horror in particular and horror fans particularly, that's always a point of contention, right? Someone made the comment, you know, why was um, why do movies like like uh, Candyman and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, why are they so universally complained about when they get rebooted? But a movie, say, like uh, Little Women, which has been done a million times, is not. Hmm. And. I would point to some more of the the loyalty that maybe and the connection that horror fans have to the entire genre, versus I mean maybe there's a um, a coming of age, uh, what would you even call that like a um, period piece coming of age genre fan base that I'm not quite aware of, but um, well, I think there is a heavier scrutiny for remakes of films that started as films. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre, sure. Candyman, huge difference with them and Little Women, despite a tol- whole bunch of obvious differences, is that Little Women is a, a classic novel. Right, because you don't see this with Dracula, right? How many times has the tale of Dracula been retold? Yeah. In fact, there was a BBC series that just came out, and while people might have had complaints about the content of it, you didn't really see people saying, oh, another Dracula film. You're right, there may be something to that. But, but another sort of point of conversation that came from it was, while people spend time complaining about all these remakes and reboots, there are these all these super interesting films, indie films, smaller budgeted films like The Greasy Strangler, like Greta and Hansel, which I know got a theatrical release, but still smaller. Um, the Witch, Lords of Salem, uh, Tusk, 
um, Color and Space, which just came out. There's all these really artistic films being done by these production houses that people kind of pass on. You know, people take a people don't even you know they're not showing up to support them, and yet they're complaining about the reboots and the remakes. Uh, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, don't don't get all into uh, complaining about stuff if you're not even supporting the real stuff that's out there, the original new stuff. Yeah, that's that's true. And, and look, and I understand, and I and I I made the point that part of it is that um, the 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 reality of it that it is just a marketing machine behind some films that other films don't get right. You know, films like Lighthouse or um, Gretel and Hansel even or, um, you know, Antebellum or any of these films. They get, you know, they're starting, like we like I mentioned at the top of the show, they're starting to get into theaters. They're starting to get attention. But I think as consumers, we are have been conditioned to only place value on films that have heavy, heavy marketing campaigns or big, big stars yeah. in them. And so... As fans of horror, I think it's incumbent upon us not only to support these smaller indie horror films, but also to shine a spotlight on them so that other people might discover them. We talked about um, a dark song a couple podcasts ago, right? That was that came from a recommendation from to, uh, from a friend of mine to me. And um, if I had never had that, rec- it wasn't even a direct recommendation. I think it was just she posted on her story like one of the better films to deal with witchcraft that she'd see or magic, I guess that she had seen. And if I had not come across that story, I'd never would have heard of it. I wouldn't have watched it. We wouldn't have talked about it on our podcast. You wouldn't have watched it. And who knows who else has watched. I think Sam watched it. You know, there's been other people who have gone and watched those films because they got brought to their attention. But otherwise this really great, weird, awesome film just kind of otherwise would have just gone unnoticed. Yeah, it didn't look like anything remarkable from what I could see. Uh, if I, I would have glanced right over that had you not recommended it. And that was one of the coolest horror movies I've seen all year. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, I, I can't speak to whether or not Texas Chainsaw Massacre, again, is going to be good or not. To me, the, the story has been told. And, and to your earlier point about it, the source material being a, a previous movie... Like, how much more ground can you cover with that story? Now, someone brought up a good point about um, Rob Zombie's Halloween uh-huh. and and it being a remake, but also covering some different ground there. Again, a very divisive film, but certainly a film that takes in a different direction than John Carpenter's vision, especially the second one. Um, I guess the jury's out whether or not you could take the Texas Chainsaw Massacre story and do something unique with it that the previous reboot did already do i doubt i i just i don't think there's anything there uh what would be the point really and, and i i could make the argument that it's already been done again by mr rob zombie with house of a thousand corpses yeah, it's been done and wrung out and uh flogged to death all all of the cliches and analogies it's had all of those happen to it just uh i don't know i i mean this is like I, I don't know if like uh, studios will, um, you know, give someone a little test project, like just to see if they can do anything and uh, make a text chainsaw massacre. And then maybe we'll give you more money for the next. Pro- I, I don't know what that is or if there's just like, a, well, I can now tell there's you like a algorithmic expiration date on remakes to when you can make another one and they just feel obligated to do it. It's like, oh, uh, our research shows it's been seven years since the last chainsaw massacre. So we can make. Five million profit. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that answer, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I can't say this. And I, I think uh, Jude would be okay with me sharing this story. So uh, Jude, who was on the show last week, one time went to a major studio and pitched an original script that he oh. had. And um, the studio head at the time really, really liked the script and gave it some feedback and said, man, this is a surefire hit. But uh, we're not doing origin- original films right now. So uh, if you're interested in doing a film, here's this catalog of old films. Pick one of these, and maybe we'll talk about developing one of these old properties. But we're just not in the business of doing original content anymore. And this was a few years back, but I, I feel like it's pretty – Yeah. pretty uh, – yeah, it's definitely still within keeping of um, the way studios kind of run their businesses now. That's interesting. Um, I – a little bit of a detour, but I, I, I saw another film this week that reminded me a lot of you because you 
you you always like to talk on the show about how uh, horror like reflects the, the the fears of our society and um, there's a there's kind of like a new and I guess it's a new genre of what I consider horror films coming out and it's these these horror documentaries. Um, it's oh, like like all the all like all the Netflix things that are coming out like um, Aaron Hernandez football murder no or not the Ted Bundy not true crime no these are. These are, oh. well, I don't know how to describe it. It's like uh, documentaries about scary things, but not true crime. These aren't crime stories. Okay. Like, I watched a film a few years ago called The Nightmare. Did you see that one? I don't think so, It was no. a terrifying film. It was a documentary about sleep paralysis and the hallucinations that happen in, in moments of sleep paralysis. And they had uh, people who suffer from, from it pretty seriously, and they were interviewing them and stuff and having them tell their stories of like, crazy waking nightmares they've had because you know what that is a sleep paralysis old hag syndrome it's yeah you, yeah you might wake up and there's like an old woman or a monster sitting on your chest and you can't move but you mm-hmm. feel awake so in um yeah you know the, the we talked about dracula earlier one of the inspirations for the idea behind the the vampire monster in its earliest forms was a, an offshoot of sleep paralysis wherein people thought that these psychic vampires were sitting on their chest and were like stealing their ability to like their life right. force and keeping them paralyzed. Oh yeah, well there you go. Yeah, so so the nightmare was just like a film like that. It was it was about that, but they would um they would use the uh you know horror making horror film making techniques to do little reenactments of what the person was experiencing. So wow, yeah, okay. it was really cool. It was really terrifying because it was like you can put yourself in the shoes of these people and they, and they were real experiences. They weren't, uh, you know, fiction. I mean, they were dreams, but they were, I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I feel like I really experienced my dreams. I mean, if I'm having a bad dream, it, it messes yeah. with my head, you know? So it was that kind of yeah. thing. And so I, I saw that and I thought that was a really unique way to make a horror film, to make a actual documentary about something real and not have it true crime. And recently, uh, I, this week I watched another one called wrinkles, the clown. Okay. It was by. Uh, was it like about fear of clowns? Well, it sort of. It was about a specific clown called Wrinkles the Clown. Um, and in keeping with the professional nature of our podcast, I would like to say who it was directed <laughs> by, but that page got closed somehow. Uh, Michael's Beach Nichols uh, was the the, okay. the director of this film. And uh, what it is is it's amazing. It's like. Uh, a few years back in Florida, some YouTube videos started coming out of Wrinkles the Clown, and they right. would be Is this like uh, Slenderman kind of, kind of like yeah. It's it had it started picking up a vibe like that, but they were just like these videos that would show up on YouTube with no explanation of a clown coming out from under a girl's bed and then turning off her closed circuit, uh, you know, camera in her in her house, um, right, right. or uh, a clown showing up at a birthday party. And stealing the balloons and just terrifying everyone. Or are people just driving down the road and they see this clown and it's wrinkles the clown. It was the same clown every time though. And then, was it were they try, were people trying to pitch this as like um sort of found footage, like real real like events that occurred? Yeah, they yeah, pretty much. Like it was just uh, wrinkles the clown spotted on, you know, highway seventy three or whatever. Uh, you know, they they didn't have a lot of description. They were just popping up on YouTube, these these little videos that were supposedly real of this this terrible terrifying clown. Then at the same time, around uh, I think the town was Naples, Florida, they had these stickers that were up. That was that that clown, and it just said all it said on it was wrinkles, and it had a phone number at the bottom. And then the sticker was just like a a mug shot of that clown. And okay, interesting. It was the idea was it was this service you could call if your children had been acting up, you could hire Wrinkles the clown to come and scare them. He was a professional scary clown interesting yeah okay and it, it went viral got on youtube uh there's i mean there's clips in the documentary of like uh you know the late night talk shows on the big networks like talking about this clown and the news t- you know national news talking about it uh it became a thing like uh tiktok you know what tiktok is with the kids where they make the videos um kind of yeah, yeah it's like I a know. dancey thing are, yeah tiktok is lame but uh listen i'm getting into skateboarding but I, I don't know if i can go so far as to get into tiktok no you don't you're way too young to and and way too old to do tiktok that's that's the two markets people don't know that <laughs> two markets of tiktok is uh like 13 year olds and senior citizens and if you don't believe me gotcha. ask any 13 right. year old you know about the old people on tiktok and they will give you a mouthful 
But uh, yeah, I don't make a point of knowing a lot of thirteen-year-olds at this you, point in my life. People have family. I'm just saying, like it's a it's a real thing, man. Um, but uh, so it became a thing where like kids were using TikTok to um, make these videos where they would call the Wrinkles the Clown number, and it was almost like what you were talking about earlier, like Bloody Mary or Candyman in the mirror. You know? Yeah, right. They would make these like uh, Wrinkles the Clown challenge, and they would call this guy. And it uh, so this documentary it explores Wrinkles the Clown. It kind of tells about who he is. Um, it even sets up a fake possible like, possibility of it. It's really cool, but it gets into this thing where it shows how it it actually fanned out into this public fear. Do you remember that? You may not have heard of Wrinkles the Clown, but I'm sure you remember the um, the clowns. Uh, clown videos, clowns walking down the street, you know, people getting scared by clowns, uh, news reports. Joker? Huh? Joker? Not, I saw that Not film. Joker, no. There were like news reports of clowns like terrorizing people at night. And you don't remember any of that a few years mm, back? Maybe vaguely it sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. It was going on, man. And I mean, there were, I mean, there were things where um, clowns would just show up at playgrounds and, and just stare at the children. And then when the adults would come they would run off into the you know into, into the nearby fields or bushes or whatever and it was um now, are these things real th- these were really happening wrinkles the clown may have been you know i, I don't want to spoil the documentary because it's horror documentaries kind of treat themselves like horror films you know where they have twists and turns yeah it's pretty right cool okay. but uh what regardless of wrinkles the clown this stuff really did start happening People were dressing up like clowns, standing on the side of the highway, coming out of the shadows. It was like um, weird, scary clown uh, performances were just going off all around America for like a period of like about a year. And it was on the news and people were saying, you know, if I if I see the clowns, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to beat them up. And children were scared because they didn't understand that this was like, you know, pranks and stuff. And they were actually getting pretty nervous. There was even like a stampede at some college campus when they heard a report that some scary clowns were on the campus at night and uh, all these kids came out of their dorms and started like running around the campus trying to find and beat up the clowns. It was, I don't know, it was just a thing that went on. Like there was this weird like clown hysteria. It was kind of like right after the It movie, the uh, first uh, remake of okay. It came out. I, I was going to I was gonna ask, I, was this sort of a precursor to the sort of clown horror genre sort of having a resurgence or was this sort of at the same time? Was this afterward? Kind of at the same time. It was just, it was just a thing that was happening a few years ago, you know, viral videos and stuff. Um, but uh, this documentary tries to make the link that it might have all been started and inspired by this wrinkles, the clown guy. And it's pretty cool, man. It's weird. It's like, there are, I had I mean, a lot of this stuff is stuff we don't notice just because we're not in that, community of younger internet users because apparently it was a yeah, big right. thing with the kids making the wrinkles clown okay. videos uh kid you know he's got they've they've got the, that phone number they've got like voicemails it gets hundreds of calls a day the phone number that's on the uh, sticker there's and was there any sort of like message for it or was it, it, it's, it's just, just, just like number? hey it's wrinkles the clown huh? i leave you a message you know it's that kind of thing and then, there, and then right, the messages right. are death threats there's people trying to hire him i mean there's there's a uh, parents calling saying hey wrinkles we need you to come to my house and you can just hear hysterical children screaming and crying in the background like no don't that's insane (laughs) yeah it's it's bizarre but uh it was a really cool documentary on the whole um clown hysteria thing that we all kind of had that you apparently flew right past you but uh yeah see clowns don't really do much for me either way i mean they you know what i'm saying like it doesn't i never i was never one of those people who grew up with any sort of sort of uh, clown phobia like like some people have well, yeah me neither but but yeah in, in the same way that that nightmare film did those weird reenactments and stuff this film also uses horror horror making techniques to show what it would look like if if wrinkles the clown was doing the things people thought he was you know murdering right. and all stealing children and all that kind of stuff so it was still a horror film it still had a horror vibe but it was a documentary well it's it's just so cool because um in, in in its own way, see that to me that's a very like when I when we were growing up, documentaries were kind of art house things, right? right. They were kind of like, you know, they were for sophisticated, they were prestige. They weren't, and so again, this all sort of ties in that right now, like yes, we're gonna always have reboots and remakes and and things, you know, the 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 properties of our childhood mind and 
people hoping to catch lightning in a bottle twice. But there are so many great independent smaller films. And, and I think this idea of taking rural phobias and applying a documentary formula to it but using reenactments is such a great way to capture what horror films do which are to bring out our anxieties and give us that thrill ride from them in a safe environment in the same way that a that a great action film might do and so uh if you're like me and maybe tired of reboots and remakes and matt i don't know how you feel about it but i think the answer is very clear There are original programming out there in the horror genre that is amazing content. And even though I felt like Gretel and Hansel maybe wasn't at the upper echelon of that, um, of this sort of new movement, there are lots of great ones. Greasy, uh, the Greasy Strangler sounds like one of them. Um, Nightmare and, and Wrinkles the Clown sound really fascinating. There's some really great content and properties out there. And I know that they don't always get a spotlight shined on them, but um, follow, you know, listen to us. We're happy to recommend them. But Disgusting does a good job of it. I mean, there's a lot of great avenues that you can follow to get exposed to some of these be- these these sort of more art house horror films. And I I personally hope that they they keep growing traction and that we still we keep getting these more artistic approaches to a genre that has historically been viewed as sort of. Um, uh, B rate, lowbrow. Yeah, right. Totally. Uh, should we uh, give these films our Tusk ratings and then maybe get on to mailbag? What do you say? Absolutely. Um, well, before we get on the mailbag, we'll we'll okay. talk about oh, our yes. tournament results. The tournament of action. But uh, yeah, so I'll give um, I'll give Gretel and Hansel three out of five Tusk. Not bad. Because while the story is very weak, artistically it's so beautiful that. Um, I'd probably put it on again in the background just so I could just live in that world for a couple hours. I'm going to give the Greasy Strangler a five tusk. Ooh. And now that that is because I don't often see film, uh, films that appeal to my personal tastes okay, so yeah. well, which maybe <laughs> I shouldn't reveal that. That's a very personal thing, especially when you see the film. But uh, I wish I could give it more tusks because I feel like five tusks somehow implies that tusk is a better movie than greasy strangler. Listen, but both involved (laughs) thick mammals doing gruesome murders. Yeah. There's a bit of both in that. Yeah, that's true. Or a bit of that in both. Uh, so, okay, yeah. So, Greasy Strangler, highly recommend that. I, I do. I highly recommend it. Okay. What about a nightmare and uh, wrinkles, the clown? Okay. Uh, I think both of those, uh, let's see, uh, Nightmare, I'm going to give it a three and a half. And uh, Wrinkles the Clown, I'm going to give it a three and a half. I think they were pretty fun movies. They're not like, you know, super memorable, but they're interesting. And they they do a good job of uh, being, of walking the line between horror and documentary. Well, there you go, guys. You have four recommendations from us, all passing the test sniff test to watch, to give us your own opinion, to formulate your own opinion on how you feel about them, and you can escape the the endless grind of reboots and remakes by watching some some of the more artier, more risk-taking horror projects that exist out there in the world. And with that, let's go to our tournament results. You might have missed the results last week, Max. I know that you were busy with your stag party. and oh, also no, I, I, li- I listened to the show. I recovering. Always... So yeah. uh, last week we had Ongbok Advance. From the Matt bracket and from the Dave bracket, Terminator 2 advance over Die Hard. So this week in the Matt bracket, we had Predator versus Valhalla Rising. And in the Dave bracket, we had Kill Bill versus Enter the Dragon. So care to do a wager as to who won between Predator and Valhalla Rising? I think Predator won. Pretty handily. 73 to 10 votes. <laughs> but listen, okay. listen. Valhalla Rising is not did not nearly get the the attention that Predator has. That's an all time classic. I think um, it always had a, a steep hill to climb. But in the spirit of recommending films, watch Valhalla Rising because you might find yourself compelled by a really cool film, even if it doesn't advance in our in our uh, last action hero greatest horror tournament. And uh, in the Dave bracket, you had Kill Bill versus Enter the Dragon. What do you think on that one? Ooh, I think I think it's going to be Kill Bill. I think what Jude said about Kill Bill really uh, uh, rang true with just about anybody that's seen both of those films. It's it's a, it's kind of a perfect action story. It, it really is, and it did advance sixty to forty-seven. And you know, I think that it took a lot of the. I mean, 
we have to give Enter the Dragon some credit because the success of Kill Bill is absolutely it standing on the shoulders of films like Enter the Dragon that really established the kung fu genre and took it to new heights. So this week we have Advancing Predator and we have Kill Bill. And and as a little preview for next week, in the Dave bracket, we're going to have Casino Royale versus John Wick. Two strong contenders going up against one another. Men in dapper suits with lots of gunfire. And in the map bracket, we have Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx versus Rage. A little bit of a dark horse there, but a cool film, according to you. Gary Daniels. Oh, yeah. Little. Yeah, it was very good. But I, I think it's going to be um, uh, it's it's going to be uh, John Wick and um, the one that's not Rage. Cause <laughs> Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah, Rumble in the Bronx. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll never know. We'll never know. It's, we might have yeah. some, some closeted Rage fans out there who, yeah, who are going to come out in droves <laughs> to push it over the top. Uh, I more just put that underdog in there to try to maybe get people to watch it because it's pretty badass. Hey, if you remember in our horror bracket, the Evil Dead remake did advance around. So you That's never true. know. You never know. So so vote every week, Monday through Friday. We'll announce the winners next week on our podcast. And we appreciate you guys contributing. So with that appreciation of audience contribution, shall we go to the mailbag? Yes. Questions from Macarette. Justin Warren asks, what's your take on the trailer for Spiral from the Book of Saw? And do you think this movie will be a success? And if so, what do you think it will do for the state of the genre? So Matt, we, upon getting this question, watched the trailer in sync just moments ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, what was your gut reaction to it? I, I didn't even know this was coming out. I heard they were making a Spiral movie, and I thought it was based on the uh, the anime and the manga called Spiral, which I would watch that. But uh, I, I've never been a Saw guy, man. Like, the first one was okay. Uh, following that, it was just kind of like, why are they still making these movies? But uh, obviously the cast, uh, Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson, that, that that's intriguing. From that producer think, uh, Chris Rock. For producer Chris Rock even as well, yeah. In a world where Jigsaw is dead. But Chris Rock is a fan. Yeah, and we and we have to keep making these movies. Speaking of remakes, but they're remakes. not supernatural horrors, so we can't bring Jigsaw back to life. Was Spiral uh, like a character from the other movies? I don't know. I, I, I watched watch so, it after a while. So I am not a huge fan of this of the Saw series, and not because um, really only because I only saw the first one and I, and I didn't care for it, so I never watched the sequels. I know Justin is a huge fan of the Saw series, and and could say that if I'd gotten to like. I forget if it's the second one or the third one, but I guess at some point they get really good. I just okay. never got there, so I can't speak on that. Um, my gut reaction to the trailer is it's not a very good trailer, uh, and Chris Rock does not and doesn't really come off as convincing as sort of the gritty cop. You know, like it, it looks like the, the trailer kind of starts off like it's an homage or so, like Training Day or um, yeah. uh, End of Watch with Chris Rock playing the grizzled veteran cop, and and he just doesn't. Again, just just the trailer, but just because of my sort of preconceived notion of Chris Rock, he doesn't it really come off as that kind of the character that say Denzel would have played in in um, Training Day. Uh, it does have a surprise appearance by Sam S., Samuel S. Jackson. So Sa- Samuel L. Jackson, who, who makes <laughs> I you were makes doing a, a thing. I was like S. Jackson was uh, <laughs> who makes it a point to drop a motherfucker in the trailer. So that's cool, I guess. Um, oh, you know what? That's not cool, actually, because I just realized that that they that they were doing that at oh, first. It was like were. oh, exciting dialogue, but they were they weren't. They were doing like a look. Samuel L. Jackson's doing that thing. Yeah, uh, it looks. Yeah, it looks. It, you know, Saul was always very to me was always super derivative of Seven, and this yeah. feels derivative of a derivative. Um, I, again, the, not there's not much to see from the trailer other than it's like. Some copycat killer is carrying on Saul's work. I don't know, man. Yeah, I guess I, he's targeting cops only. That, like maybe that's the twist this time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It maybe you know. Speaking of the the, the sort of the, the grizzled cop role, it feels like that would have been better suited for Sam Jackson than Chris Rock. Hard to say. Listen, um, I like Darren Bossman. He did Gina, uh, uh, um, he did Repo, the Genetic Opera, and the Devil's Carnival, which I really enjoyed. And of course, he's done a lot of the better Saw movies. If you're a Saw fan, maybe it's worth a shot. I don't know. I guess. I guess as far as the state of the genre, to me, 
the Saw movies feel pretty dead. They're from a an era. They're from the post 9/11, you know, post Abu Ghraib and and sort of that era of the world when torture was a very much a hot topic. So, is it something that can be revived? Does it still resonate with people? I don't know the answer to that. I guess we'll see. Again, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't judge a book of Saw by its cover. But <laughs> but so far, if I would just rank the trailer, I'd probably give it one tusk. What does Book of Saw even mean? What is that? Maybe he wrote a book. a book. There's maybe, a book of there's a Saw book. Maybe maybe the little uh you know the little marionette on the bicycle. Maybe he rolls up to people's doors and and rings a doorbell and they answer the door and they say, "Excuse me, Mister and Missus, have you heard of the Book of Saw? Would you like to play a game?" <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's coming. That'll be in Saw Book of Saw Spiral Ten. I'm sure there'll be something like that. Or, the saw. Uh, so the trailer saw ends five. with Samuel L. Jackson. Two saw, um, two. No, I'm two, sorry. two spiral, two saw. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the trailer ends with Chris Rock about to, you know, he's he's handcuffed to the radiator and he's got a he's got a uh, to the first a movie. saw with him, you know. And uh, there, let me tell you something right now. There's no way he's cutting his arm off in that movie. That's the part where the oh they kick in the door. We found you, Officer Chris Rock. Carrie well, uh, well, cuts his foot off in the uh, first saw. Uh, yeah, but that's. There's no way Chris Rock's cutting his hand off, and that's not happening. I'm telling you right now. That's... All right, how would you rate the trailer? Rate rate the trailer? Yeah. Um, uh, out of five, is that what it is? Yeah, out of five tusks. This is okay. I didn't know if it was different for trailers. I don't know why it would be, but <laughs> uh, two and a half. We'll give it a. Oh, two okay. And a half. Yeah, yeah, feeling generous today. All right, let's go to the next question. Kimbo Slice asks, "I feel the Oscars are dumb. I wonder how the whole thing got started." Um, Kim, the Oscars are dumb. I mean, they're not. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're what they are. Look, they. No, they every don't. young filmmaker, when they get into the business, dreams of winning an Oscar, and um, you know, it's nice to be rewarded for your efforts, and it's nice to be recognized by your peers. But the longer you're into it, the longer you get to know how it all works, and you realize it's just basically a popularity contest, and who pays for the enough media yeah. to to get you voted. Um, they also buy gifts for the. Judges, I've heard some weird horror, like yeah, back, you know, it's, inside it's, baseball stuff that's just not not cool, man. Listen, it might not be the most corrupt voting that happens this past week, but it's right up there. Like Iowa yeah. and the Oscars are probably neck and neck. In fact, I have a prediction. Do you want to hear my Oscar prediction, Matt? What's that? I predict that Mayor Pete is going to wear win an Oscar. <laughs> okay, I think he rigged that yeah. one too. Yeah, if they, if they have an app that you can vote for Oscars with. Yeah, Shadow, Shadow App created the Oscar app, and you can vote. And Mayor Pete won all the categories. Amazing. I, I, honestly, I don't think the Oscars are – I think the Oscars are about as relevant as, like, a good movie movie review these days. They're basically – it's ba- like the Oscars are basically like a um, a semi-popular movie critic show at this point. And it's just like, oh, that won an Oscar. Maybe, maybe I'll check it out. It's not like, uh, oh, I – I trust them. Like they, if it won an Oscar, it's amazing. True. And, and there's so many filmmakers that get left out year after year. Yeah. I mean, again, you got to look at the well, consensus they, they of the voters. A, they certainly have a preference. I mean, no show, we, we no movie we ever talk about on this show is going to win an Oscar. I mean, that's, right. that's a given, right? You know, that it's, this it's, is, it's, if, if you like a certain kind of film, uh, they'll point you in the direction of those films. Basically. Listen, this is why we have to start our golden pot awards. If you're tired of the Oscars and the bureaucracy and the the voter rigging that occurs when the Oscars, you got to follow us whenever we decide to do our Golden Pod Award. You can, <laughs> you can trust us to give you our honest opinion on the best of the films that the Oscars aren't even willing to look at. Is there any more show left? Do we no, have anything else? Let's wrap okay. this up. Right. <laughs> let, let us know what you think about the Oscars. Let us know what you think about uh, the trailer for. Spiral from the Book of Saw, Two Saw, Two Furious, and uh, <laughs> and uh, let us know what you think about some of the the art house from the Slaughter Art Slart Slaughter Art Slaughter House Art House Slaughterhouse. I'm gonna make a you watch in the title. I'm gonna make some sort of connection there from Slaughterhouse to Art House. It's gonna happen. Ooh, that's, that's gonna be a rough connection, but it's looking forward to awesome. that. Awesome. Let us know what you think about some of the indie horror gems that we recommended today. Please, please, please search out and watch and support indie films in general, both horror and other genres. The people who work on them put in gruesome hours for your entertainment for an hour and a half to two hours. 
and uh, you know there's some real real special moments that can occur when you when you have the limitations of time and money. So support indie horror, support indie films. Uh, join us next Monday as always, where we'll give you the next round of results from our action film tournament. And from Dave and Matt, have a great week and adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Art Crime Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.